The text for this morning's service is from 1 Kings 18, the verses 16 through 20, the last part of 16. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 115, the stanzas 2, 5, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, some 20 years ago, I learned how to ski downhill. But it took me a while to catch on. I had to overcome my fear of heights and my innate desire to have my feet firmly planted on the ground. The chairlift was one of my greatest initial challenges. The first time I used it, I was not shown how, but I learned later that the moment the chair touches the back of your legs, you are to sit down and let the chair carry you aloft. But as I was too hesitant to let my feet leave the ground, I did not do that. This caused the chair to go backwards until my legs could no longer stand the strain. As a result, the chair catapulted forward and then, like a slingshot, hurled me into the air. I hung on for dear life. I tightly gripped the cross slats of the chair until I got to the top. But as I got to the top and the ground reappeared under my feet, signaling that I had to let go, I discovered that my fingers were firmly wedged between the slats to which I was hanging on to for dear life. In the nick of time, I was able to extricate my fingers without losing any of them. Why do I tell you this story? Well, it illustrates that it is dangerous to be uncommitted to a certain position. When you go on the chairlift, you cannot be both on the ground and in the air at the same time. If you try to do both, you can seriously injure yourself and even lose your life. You cannot have the best of both worlds. You either have to let go of the one or be committed to the other. There is no middle way. And that's also the way it is with regard to our service of the Lord. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, that is what King Ahab was doing. And this is also what the people Israel were doing. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted to be friends with the nations of the world, even worshipping their gods, and they also wanted to serve the God of Israel, Yahweh. After all, he's the God of our fathers, isn't he? 
He is the one who brought them into the promised land. They should serve him as well. But you cannot be devoted to two gods at the same time. That doesn't work. However, to them it seemed that it was working. Because of their alliance with other nations and their gods, especially the Sidonians, Israel was prosperous. They were doing well, or so they thought. But they did not realize that they were courting disaster. They did not realize that this could not last. You cannot maintain two diametrically opposed positions at the same time. You cannot serve the one and only true God and also serve the, vol- the false gods. They are, those are two totally different worlds. They are two totally different commitments. There is only one true God and him alone must they serve. That's where Elijah comes in. Ahab was straddling the line between the serving of the Baals and the serving of Yahweh. He thought that he had gotten a good mix and that he had the best of both worlds. He figured that he had it made in the shade. However, he was totally blind to the ramifications of such a duplicious pursuit. He needed to be shaken out of his self-delusion. It was up to Elijah as a prophet of the Lord to do that and to make him commit himself, to shake him up. He would have to make him choose between God or the Baals. It had to be the one or the other. He could not sit on the fence. He had to declare himself. Ahab would have to choose whether or not he would choose the things that are above with its eternal heavenly rewards or to seek the things that are below with its temporary earthly rewards. The only right thing for him to do, of course, was to commit himself to the Lord God. But that would be very difficult for him, for he was entrenched in pursuing his own course, and therefore it would be very hard for him to change direction. That is why a confrontation was necessary. Ahab needed a shock to his system. That's what I will preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about the showdown between the faithful prophet Elijah and the worldly king Ahab. We will see two things. First, Ahab's blind ambition. And secondly, Elijah's uncompromising position. It had been some three and a half years since Elijah confronted the king. That first time that he showed up, he did so as it were out of the blue and presented himself to the king at his palace. At that time, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, took the initiative and he went to him. And he told King Ahab that the Lord, the God of Israel, will bring drought upon the land. Elijah wanted Ahab to be aware of the power of God and that he is the one who sends rain or withholds it. No one else. The Baals have no such power. But now we see that Elijah summons the king. The king now has to come to him. The roles are reversed. As we saw the last time and as we read together, Elijah sent Obadiah, the faithful but cowardly servant of the Lord, who was in charge of the palace. He sent Obadiah to tell Ahab that Elijah is here. Obadiah was afraid to be that messenger because he feared that Elijah would disappear before Ahab would meet with him. And then he would have to endure Ahab's anger. It could even cost him his life. 
However, Elijah assured him that he would most certainly present himself to Ahab on that very day. Elijah was convinced that Ahab would come to him. Why could he be so sure? For what benefit would it be to Ahab to meet with Elijah? All kinds of speculations have been made by various commentators. None of them give a satisfactory answer. The fact of the matter is that Ahab's motivations are not clearly stated in the scriptures. But we do know a lot about Ahab, don't we? And the one thing that really stands out about him is that he is a very ambitious man. He is not going to let anyone stand in his way of accomplishing his goal. His ultimate aim, his ambition, is to bring prosperity on himself and on the people Israel. He wants to get as much as he can out of life, out of life by hook or by crook. He also wants power. And his goal is also to hang on to that power no matter what. To hang on to the position that he has as the most powerful man in Israel. Or of the world of that day if he can accomplish it. He is not willing for one moment to diverge from that path. All his thinking and all his actions are geared to that end. However, Elijah stands in the way of that goal. And he has the audacity to try to clip his wings. And now Ahab has to figure out a way to neutralize him or to eliminate him altogether. He knows that he cannot ignore him. He has learned that. Elijah has proven to be quite an obstacle. The words that he spoke the first time he met him came true. He said that the drought would come and it did. He knew that Elijah would not come out to meet him this time, and so what is he to do? Well, he does go out to meet Elijah. Perhaps in tackling him in a personal way, he will find a way to get rid of him. He will play it by ear. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you? That is the same question that Obadiah asked when he met Elijah. Obadiah, however, asked out of respect. He mentions him by name and calls him his Lord. Obadiah was not the bravest of men, but nevertheless he was on the same wavelength as Elijah. Elijah and Obadiah are both servants of God and want to be obedient to the Lord. But Ahab's question is full of scorn and bitterness. He calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. That is quite something, for you here you have two men who both have been anointed by the Lord God to their prospective offices, the one as king and the other as prophet. But they work at totally cross purposes. They both have totally different ambitions. Ahab was out to serve himself. Elijah was out to serve the Lord. Ahab knew very well what he was doing. He was a clever and cunning man, wise in the ways of the world. He knew how to get his way and how to get the people that mattered on his side. He was the perfect politician. He was adroit in the exploitation of the weaknesses of the people. He also knew how to forge alliances with other nations in order to bring wealth to Israel. He knew the right things to say and the right things to do. 
He also knew how to get the people on his side. Humanly speaking, he was a great leader. He knew how to hang on to power. He was a popular man. The majority of Israel loved him. They loved the fact that they could fare as well under him as they could. They loved their prosperity and they loved the freedom that they had to do their own thing. It didn't matter to them that their physical well-being was at the expense of their relationship with the Lord God. They were interested in maintaining the status quo. They were interested in indulging their own flesh. Elijah, however, was totally different. He was not a clever politician. He was not someone who was always watching to see which way the wind was blowing. He was not interested in gauging the likes and the dislikes of the people. Elijah was interested only in the truth, and he was uncompromising in that regard. He was interested in the truth no matter what the consequences. He walked a fine line on the straight and narrow path that God set out for him. And so seeing the difference between these two leaders, you can understand that a clash, that a showdown was inevitable. Elijah, as a servant of the Lord, was compelled to confront King Ahab. He saw that as a duty, as a prophet of God. Elijah had no choice but to disturb King Ahab. And that is why he came with the word of God that there would be drought in the land. And now, three and a half years have passed. It had not made any difference to Ahab's way of doing things or to his way of thinking. On the contrary, Ahab hardened his heart. Ahab continued to pursue his own selfish ends. He did not repent. But now Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. And that is what unrepentant people always do. And that is what people always do who want to pursue their own path. They go on the attack. They blame others. They don't blame themselves. Even if you come to them with heart and fast evidence, and even if you come to them with the word of God, then they will still turn on you, on the messenger. They don't want anyone or anything to stand in the way of accomplishing their goal, not even God. That's also what happened to the Lord Jesus. The Pharisees also saw him as a troublemaker. They said, for example, in John 11, verse 48, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Pharisees were also interested only in maintaining their own place of power and influence. They were not really interested in serving the Lord God. When the Lord Jesus performed his many miracles, they were in a quandary. They either had to accept him as doing these things through the power of God or through the power of the devil. They too, therefore, had to make a choice. Is this man of God or is he of the devil? And they decided that he is of the devil. But they made the wrong choice. And the Lord God also puts us, you and me, before the choice, just like he did to the people of Israel. He said through the mouth of Joshua, in Joshua 24, verse 14, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, or the God of Israel. But as for me and my household, said Joshua, we will serve the Lord. 
Joshua made a clear choice. And that's what God wants from you and me as well. He wants you to commit yourself to one position. You either serve the Lord God or you don't. You cannot sit on the fence. You cannot go about your daily business and conduct yourself in the same way as the world does, while at the same time claiming that you are a Christian. You are either a Christian or you're not. There is no middle way. And if you try to choose the middle way, for a little while that may work, but in the end you will be destroyed. Time and again you have to test what you are doing and the way that you are going. You have to test this on the basis of God's word. Am I really interested in doing the will of God, or am I not? And then when the minister from the pulpit or the elder at a visit come to rebuke you and instruct you, then you have to test his word to see whether or not it is in accordance with the word of God. You have to ask yourself, this on the basis of God's word. Ahab was not interested in doing that. He did not want to test Elijah to see whether or not he was acting in the word of, with the word of God or on his own. For that is what he should have done. Even though Elijah said that he came with the word of God, and even though what he said would happen did happen, that did not necessarily mean that Elijah was a prophet of the Lord. For that is what it says in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 through 3. It says there that if a prophet would appear among them and tells them that a certain thing will happen, and it does happen, that does not necessarily mean that God has sent him. They still have to test him. They have to test him always on the word of God. And therefore Ahab had to listen very carefully to what Elijah had to say. That brings us to our second point. Elijah said, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Elijah hit the nail right on the head. From the word go, the northern kings were almost without exception wicked. They brought idolatry into Israel to prevent the people from returning to Jerusalem where the temple was. The northern kings did not want a reunification with the two southern tribes, the Judah and Benjamin. They did not want to share power with them. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to do their own thing. And Satan likes nothing better than to have God's people divided. He loves the vision. He would love it if he could divide us. He would love it if he could work the vision in the consistory room or in the council room. He loves it when people are at odds with each other. He especially loves it when it concerns the church. And these kings, these kings of the northern tribes, they were in the service of the devil. Ahab, however, was worse than all his predecessors. He did not care, for example, that God had forbidden the rebuilding of the walls of Jericho. He went ahead anyway. He saw this as a good political move, for this way he could better secure the land from foreign invaders. In this way he tried to rewrite history. He ignored the past, and thereby he ignored the word of God. 
And he did not care either that he married Jezebel, who did not want to serve the Lord, who was an unbeliever, but who, and who hated the God of Israel. He allowed her to promote Baal worship and at the same time to kill the prophets of the Lord. He even allowed her to put the false prophets of Baal on the federal payroll. To Ahab and Jezebel, murder was also acceptable as long as it served their purposes. There was no end to their wickedness. Ahab was wicked through and through. And Elijah now convicts him on the basis of God's word. For what has the Lord God said? Well, he said to his people Israel, as we know from Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 and 14, So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. But then he said further in the verses 16 and 17, Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Elijah came with that word of God. He came with nothing else but to remind the king of the word of God as he had spoken to them throughout the scriptures. The true cause of Ahab's trouble was that he is unfaithful. He is unfaithful to God's covenant. Elijah did not bring the trouble on Ahab on the land, but the Lord God himself did so. He had already warned them on numerous occasions that this would happen. The Lord had made a covenant with his people, a contract. He told them that if they would trust in him, that then he would make them prosper and give them peace. But they did not do that. They broke that covenant. They served other gods. That's why he took away their prosperity. That's why he sent the drought. And Ahab did not listen. And so Ahab ultimately himself brought the trouble upon himself. He did not keep God's commandments, especially the commandment that you shall have no other gods before him. He broke that law with impunity. And that's also what the nation Israel did. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 2, verse 12 and 13. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, and also you teenagers and young people, every Sunday meeting, Every Sunday morning you also hear the law of God being read. You heard that again this morning. The Lord God gives us these laws because he wants us to take sin against, law, against God's law seriously. We have to realize that we need to keep them, even though we do sin against these laws all the time. Nevertheless, he wants us to take his laws seriously. And then because you take his laws seriously... And you do sin, as you will, for we all do, we are sinners. Now you will also ask for the forgiveness of your sins. For then you are truly sorry that you are not keeping God's laws. 
And at the same time, you keep on doing your utmost not to sin against God's laws. That's why the laws are read. That's why they are given to you. Ultimately, they are given to you to drive you to Christ. And it is a blessing that you may hear those laws. Can you imagine if the Lord God would leave you in your sins? Then you would be lost forever. And therefore, instead of seeing Elijah as a messenger of doom, Ahab should have seen him as a messenger of love. For God sent Elijah to him and to Israel because of his great love. He wants to call them back to faithfulness. He does not want them to perish. And that is what the Lord God wants you and me to do as well. He wants you and me to be faithful. He wants you, for example, to be faithful to the promises you made at the time that you publicly professed your faith. When you promised to forsake the world. In other words, when you promised not to be committed to this sinful world, but to the world of God, to his kingdom. And that is why you will not take a boyfriend or a girlfriend from the world either. Someone from the world has completely different ambitions and has a totally different outlook on life. The life and ambitions of a believer and an unbeliever are diametrically opposed to each other. They do not mix. And the Lord God wants you married couples to be faithful to the promises you made when you got married and promise to be faithful to your husband, to your wife. And he also wants the parents to be faithful to the promises they made at the time of the baptism of their children when they promised to bring them up in the fear of the Lord. And if you truly desire to be faithful in this way, then the Lord God will also bless you. You can only have a peaceful life if you want to serve the Lord. That is also what the prophet of the Lord Isaiah said in chapter 40, 48 verse 18. He said, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Elijah commands Ahab to summon the people from all over Israel. Elijah knows how the people have gone along with Ahab's disobedient ways, how he has been able to manipulate and control them. Therefore, they too need to be confronted. There has to be a wholesale reformation. We cannot maintain God's position and our position with the world at the same time. We have to make a choice. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord God wants you and me to make a choice time and again. Every day the Lord God puts you before the choice whether or not to serve him or to serve the devil. Whether or not you serve him with your mouth or with your material possessions. Whether or not you want to devote them to the Lord or whether you want to use them for your own selfish benefits. Oh yes, the Lord blesses us, but ultimately all things come from his hands. And we have to give thanks to him. We have to lead lives of thankfulness. And if it is your desire to, love, to serve the Lord, then he will also bless you abundantly. For he, had, for he wants you and me also to have peace like a river. And such peace can only come about through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, believe and be committed to him and him alone, and he will save you. Amen.